it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show and a brand new truncated broadcast week after the long weekend. Here on the program, I'm your host, Guy Benson, political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. Hope you had a great Labor Day, great Labor Day weekend. I was up in New York working on the TV side of things, but hopefully you got some R&R. You can always catch up on our podcast if you want at GuyBensonShow.com. It is free on demand every day. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. It's the same handle, at GuyBensonShow. So toss us a follow if you are so moved. You can also follow me personally at Guy P. Benson on both of those platforms. Here's the lineup that we have in store for you today. Tim Michaels is running for governor in Wisconsin. He's the Republican nominee. He's facing some attacks in that very tight race. We will have him here on the show talking about his race. Josh Krasauer, who is a political correspondent, a very smart analyst as well at Axios. He's going to be here talking about some of the races he is covering in person on the ground this week. Plus, I want to get his reaction to yet more cynicism from the Democrats who talk about MAGA Republicans being a threat to the country, and then they pour millions of dollars to support and boost those very types of Republican candidates because they think they'd be easier to beat in November. And we have another example of that just in the last couple of days. We'll get Josh's reaction to that, plus a really good new ad from the DeSantis campaign down in Florida. We will play you that sound and get Josh's reaction to that. Then later on in our final hour, Tom Homan, the former acting director of ICE, he will be here in studio talking about illegal immigration, the border crisis, some new developments on fentanyl that are very disturbing, and then also the death toll growing from that mass drowning in the Rio Grande River that happened late uh, late last week, I believe it was. More than a dozen migrants now confirmed dead. It's just awful. Tom will be here talking about his experience at the border and a long career in border enforcement. And, I mean, he is just fit to be tied over what's happening, and it's hard to blame him. So we've got a lot coming your way here on the program today. What I do want to start with is something that we also covered at some length last week. It's back to school season. I know there's a lot of people around the country where kids have been in school now for weeks. But at least where I grew up, it was always after Labor Day. Then you went back. My teacher, or rather my sister is a teacher. They're back in school as of today. And so I think that it is a very worthwhile moment to once again focus on the issue of education because there have been a few interviews and a few statements that have happened just in the last couple of days that are extremely revealing. And I recognize that the midterm elections are being fought on a whole bunch of different issues. 
inflation and the economy at the very top. We talked about the border crisis. We'll get into that with Tom Homan. The Democrats are eager to talk about, at least in certain areas, abortion. Right. There are issues out there swirling. One that is not getting enough attention, that is getting short shrift and was a driver of, I think, major Republican gains undeniably in Virginia and New Jersey is that of education and its close tie in to covid restrictions. And the closure of schools and the indoctrination and woke leftist ideology that's being injected into curricula that a lot of parents actually got wind of for the first time because their kids were sitting at home on iPads and they were hearing what was being taught to them. So it's like this multifaceted issue. And I think without that issue, Glenn Youngkin is not the governor of Virginia. I think without that issue, Phil Murphy just sort of waltzes to reelection in New Jersey as opposed to having the scare of his political life with a swing of 11 to 12 points from Biden's margin in both of those states. I made this point on the big show over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I was co-hosting it on Fox News Channel. Republicans would be committing political malpractice. And it would be a dereliction of duty to the children of the United States of America and our future in this country if they did not make sure to press the issue of education and schools, school closures, indoctrination, all of that, push that issue hard, prosecute the case. There's a lot to be said there. And as we're learning, Democrats do not have good answers on these things. So let's before we get into some of the flashbacks, let's just talk about what's recently happened. Patty Murray is a U.S. senator from Washington state. She is the chairwoman I believe, of the Education Committee in the U.S. Senate. She's a member of Senate Democratic leadership. She's fighting to retain her seat. She's up against a very talented challenger, Tiffany Smiley, out there. It's a very blue state, uphill battle for the Republicans. But Murray's out there trying to win re-election. And she was on CNN, State of the Union, over the weekend. And Dana Bash asked her a number of different questions, including questions about school closures. And I'm glad, I'll give her credit, That Dana was asking this question. Now, she was asking the question, of course, in the context of the data that came out that we covered last week. Showing shocking. And horrible learning loss among America's fourth graders on this gold standard baseline national test. Two decades worth of progress in math and reading wiped out heavily due to not the pandemic but adults making terrible anti-science decisions in response to the pandemic and actively harming kids in the process, locking them out of classrooms. In many places, the bluer the place, the likelier this happened for a year and a half. So now the chickens are coming home to roost. They're just starting to come home to roost. For a lot of these kids who backslid or never got to the level of progress that they should have, This is something that will follow them. These consequences will impact their academic progress and their life and their careers probably for years. But we're starting to get just snippets of those consequences. And this was the latest data point, which is why we highlighted it 
the way that we did as loudly as we did last week. And in fact, the outcomes are so bad, so deleterious, so problematic for the future of so many children that even folks in the mainstream press can't completely ignore it, which is why you got these questions of Senator Murray from CNN. So just listen to this. I I will just play you these back and forth questions and answers. You can react however you'd like. I'll have my thoughts afterwards. But just listen to Cut 21. Was it a mistake to keep children home for school so long during the pandemic? Dana, this was a decision of local school officials and our scientific experts trying to get their hands around a pandemic that was killing millions of Americans to protect their children, to protect their staff, to protect their communities. I am proud that when Democrats got control a year and a half ago, uh, Democrats voted for the American Rescue Plan that helped our kids get back into school safely, making sure that our schools had testing and supplies and ventilation and the ability to make sure their kids could be safe at school. And today, virtually every child is back in school. Let's just pick that apart. There's more. I'll get to that in a second, but let's just start with that answer. She said these were local decisions from local school officials and scientific experts. Well, actually, we know that teachers unions were pressuring the Democrats behind the scenes in the Biden administration to alter the official science to align with a political agenda to delay the reopening of schools. That was the explicit goal of a lot of the teachers unions, saying that they wanted the schools to reopen safely, which meant not to reopen for as long as possible. And that's why a lot of them did like die ins. This is going to kill a bunch of kids and teachers if we reopen schools. And these histrionics continued even after in Europe they were back in school, maskless in a lot of cases, and it was just fine. Same in private schools in the United States, same in various states led by Republicans. Even when the data was crystal clear, the science was crystal clear, that wasn't good enough for the teachers unions and their close allies and friends in the Democratic Party. She says, well, back then there was a pandemic that was killing millions of Americans. No. This was a very deadly pandemic. We have not diminished it here or tried to minimize its severity not on this show however millions of americans did not die and of the more than one million americans who have died of or with covid a lot of experts are finally admitting quite a lot of those deaths were not actually caused by covid so you can say this was a very serious lethal pandemic and it was especially to certain vulnerable populations That is a far cry from millions of people dying in this country, which did not and has not happened vis-a-vis COVID. Then she tries to pivot to the American Rescue Plan, right? $1.9 trillion that now everyone basically admits was a giant inflation bomb. And she's trying to credit that spending for schools reopening. When the vast majority of the money in this huge slush fund for reopening schools actually was going to get spent In like 2023, 2024, 2025, 26, it had nothing to do with reopening schools and COVID. It had everything to do with paying a giant ransom, basically, to the teachers unions 
a windfall of cash for a political operation that has showered Democrats with cash for so many years. This was the chance to pay them back under the guise of emergency. And they did that to the tune of many billions of dollars. Had nothing to do with reopening schools. The schools that reopened soonest and most efficiently didn't need any of the money, didn't see a dime of that money. They just did it because that's what the data showed was safe and was in the best interest of these kids. And that was ignored deliberately month after month after month by people like Patty Murray, who wants to pretend that this was actually a good decision that followed science and the real crucial element of getting kids back in school was Democrats spending $2 trillion in an inflation bomb after a bunch of schools had already been open for quite a long time. I mean, it's just an outrageous effort at spin. So the back and forth continued in Cut 22. Listen here. That is what I focused on, making sure that we were providing the resources to our schools so they could reopen safely. And that's what we have today. Yes, we have an issue about kids being out of school. And I am very focused, Dana, on making sure that we help get our kids back to where they need to be. Which is going to be a big challenge. In retrospect, it is no second thoughts. And I know hindsight is always 2020. But given the numbers that you're seeing and the decline that we just talked about, you still feel comfortable with the way that school districts, even you know, in your home state, handled the pandemic? I think we were under unprecedented times at that point where people really were struggling to figure out what was the best thing to do. So the short answer there is no regrets from Patty Murray. And it sounds like she's out at a beach somewhere. You can hear the seagulls or the birds screaming in the background. I, I like to think of them as fact checkers. They were listening to Patty Murray's answer and just could not help themselves but to shout the bird version of BS as loudly as they could in the background of that interview on CNN. Oh, this was this was about the resources to reopen safely. No, it wasn't. The data was clear and it was deliberately ignored, Senator, by you and your party and your benefactors in the teachers unions. That's it. And Dana Bass tries to give her some opportunity, just like. Hey, is there anything that you're sort of, you know, having second thoughts about looking back in retrospect, look at all the damage that's been done to these kids? She's like, well, look, it was just really unprecedented. So who could have known any better at the time? Well, that's an excuse that I think people can buy for the spring of 2020. By the fall of 2020, the excuse was gone because we had the science and we had the data. And then for the second semester of the 2021 school year, the spring of, what was it, 2020? I guess at this point, 2021. Many schools, especially out on the West Coast and in blue places, remained closed with absolutely no data to support it, none. And Patty Murray's just like, oh, well, you know, you just roll with the punches. Again, the short answer there, no regrets. She's not going to risk criticizing the teachers unions because they're calling the shots and there's so much money at stake. Put bluntly, they would do it again. These people would do it all over again. And that's not the only piece of evidence that I have to that effect. Let's keep going when we come back. A lot more to say on this as we start our show on this Tuesday. It is the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Guy Benson. We're back talking about back to school and the issue of education and school closures and some of the revisionist history that the Democrats are trying to engage in here while also refusing to admit that they got big things horribly wrong. I think purposely wrong in some cases because of the money and power dynamics at stake, at stake rather with the teachers unions. They can't admit that. They can't apologize for it. So they talk around it and they're making clear they would do it again. We played the clip of Senator Murray in the last segment. There was an interview with the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, on NPR. And she was asked, shouldn't the CDC or could they have pushed harder and sooner to reopen schools? She had some mealy-mouthed responses about how some mistakes were made. But when she was pressed on it more pointedly on Morning Edition, their morning show, She said, you have to consider what people knew at the time. That's basically what Senator Murray was saying, too. Like, oh, gosh, we just, you know, we couldn't have known. We didn't know yet. And the problem is that isn't true. It certainly wasn't true by the summer of 2020. And in fact, we know that Walensky doesn't really believe that because we've seen emails from her when a local school district where she lived in Massachusetts asked, reached out to her, asked for her guidance. What should we do? She urged them to reopen that fall. It's in writing. Then she became CDC director and kind of had to fall in line with the politics and let the teachers unions get their grubby little hands all over the so-called science for selfish reasons that did not reflect science or data and certainly did not reflect the best interests of, of children. Like It's like what a laughable idea, putting kids first. That's not what these union bosses are about. So Walensky's like, oh, gosh, you have to remember what we were going through at the time. Well, we remember that she was in favor privately in communications locally with reopening schools that first fall. Because the data was clear already on that point by that time. And now it's sort of just the hand wringing and trying to gaslight people into pretending like we didn't really know. I've got more sound bites that you need to hear from the White House, from a Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, and from the president's spokeswoman. We have to rebut something that she said. All of that upcoming as soon as we come back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
I've heard Secretary Cardona say this over and over again. You know, people do talk about going back to normal, and I've heard Mr. Secretary uh, say, you know, normal wasn't working out so well for for some people. And so the goal in my mind is not to go back to normal. The goal is to build a very different new normal that has equity much more at the heart of it. It's the Guy Benson Show. That's the voice of Dr. Ashish Jha, who's sort of the chief COVID guru in the Biden administration. He was participating in a virtual roundtable about back to school last week, including featured and celebrated guest Randy Weingarten. She was there, of course, at the invitation of the Biden administration and the White House. And I mentioned that last week. I'll just say that tells you everything you need to know. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Randy Weingarten was one of the most destructive figures when it comes to the education and well-being of millions of American children during the pandemic. She didn't do it single-handedly, but she was sort of the embodiment of the worst impulses and decisions being made by adults at the expense of children for political reasons, and she has suffered absolutely no accountability or consequences at all. None. I guess, you know, her guy lost in Virginia. She was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe on the final day of the campaign. He lost, thank goodness, to Glenn Youngkin. The only accountability that's going to come will be visited upon these people by voters and parents. That's it. Because Randy Weingarten, to this day, is an honored guest on the issue of school reopening at the Biden administration. They think that she is a great ally and champion. And from their perspective as partisan Democrats, that's right. From the perspective of the actual education, Physical, mental, emotional well-being and development of kids, not so much. But that's not really what this is about and never has been. And there's Ashish Jha on this conference call, this Zoom call. Of course, you can't do it in person, I guess, due to COVID or whatever reason. And he's saying, well, we shouldn't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't good. Normal was bad for a lot of people. And he's quoting the education secretary on that. This is sort of like the official left-wing position. We shouldn't talk about going back to normal because normal was bad. He said, quote, the goal in my mind is not to go back to normal. The goal is to build a very different new normal that has equity much more at the heart of it. And there it is. Back during the Obama administration, it was the then chief of staff, who famously said, Rahm Emanuel, we never let a good crisis go to waste. Jim Clyburn, one of the top members of Democratic leadership in the House, talking about the pandemic, he said that COVID presented, quote, a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. Remember that? I think that was last year. It was 21, might have even been back in 2020. A deadly pandemic in which the government was really influencing the country in a dramatic and in some ways unprecedented way, the silver lining to all those deaths and all the disruption from the Democrats' perspective was, and he said this out loud, Congressman Clyburn did, 
It presented a tremendous opportunity to restructure the country in a way that fits, quote, our vision. That's what he said. And here's a very similar thing being espoused by the top doctor at the White House on COVID. We shouldn't go back to normal. Normal wasn't good. Let's build a brand new equitable normal. That's the priority. There have been Americans desperate for normal. Children in particular. The harm inflicted on these kids for a year and a half in a lot of these places. We are just starting to calculate and grapple with how bad it is and how lasting it's going to be. And the top doctor on the White House Zoom call about back to school is rhapsodizing about how normal isn't good enough. And what they really should do is try to, you know, fashion and shape a brand new normal that has equity as the primary goal. This is like the fundamental transformation crowd. It is all about ideology. It is all about politics. When these kids were robbed of normal for far too long for no good scientific reason. They're telling on themselves. I know a lot of people feel like, oh, well, this issue, we've we've kind of moved on from the issue. That was a big issue back in 2021. And it helped in Virginia and it helped in New Jersey. But we've got other things now. We've got, you know, immigration problems. We've got, of course, inflation. We've got the economy. We've got all these other things. As I mentioned on TV, and I said this in the opening segment, Republicans would be fools to let this issue go and to let the Democrats off the hook for what they did all across the country. You look at a state or a county or a city, the more likely that it's controlled by Democrats, the more likely kids were locked out of classrooms for a year and a half. And yet we heard last week from the press secretary at the White House the opposite. She was trying to pretend that it's Biden and the Democrats who really get the credit for reopening schools. Now, of course, you ask the CDC director and we read her quote or you ask Senator Patty Murray and we played her hemming and hawing about this. They won't actually admit that they got it wrong. And instead, it's not good enough. They have to go a step further and try to tell you that you're a moron because you don't really remember that it's the Republicans Who were the villains in this thing? The Republicans kept things closed. It was Trump who caused all these problems. And then we came in and got kids back to school. That is an absolute lie. But it's what she said. This was last week in Cut 10. Just a reminder, listen here. Let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration. uh, How mismanaged... Uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47% of schools uh, uh, were, uh, in, in less than six months, uh, our schools went from 40%, 46% uh, to, to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. And she was throwing shade at Republicans, like, despite the Republicans, we did this. It's mismanaged by the last guy. Then we got in here and people got back to school. Well, she said, no, 47 percent. Then she said 40 percent. Then she said 46 percent, whatever the number was. Where were those schools that were open when you guys took over, Madam Press Secretary? Where were they? 
overwhelmingly in conservative and Republican-run states. And they were thriving because all of your excuses about, you know, testing and vaccines and we're going to clean the ceiling twice a day at great expense and we need more billions of dollars in this slush fund from taxpayers. All of that was garbage. Schools were open and thriving around the world and in this country, and you chose to ignore that for political reasons. And now here we are, back to school 2022, with an election coming up, and you actually have the audacity to pretend that the people who get the credit for schools opening were the people who kept schools closed for as long as humanly possible. Donald Trump got a lot of things wrong during the pandemic. One thing he got absolutely right early on was we have to reopen the schools. He was saying that in the summer of 2020. And because he said that, a bunch of resistance warriors said, well, now we can't do that. The science depended on what the teachers unions wanted and what Donald Trump was saying, just the opposite. That might sound a little simplistic. I think that's the case. That's like the shorthand explanation. You got Donald Trump saying reopen the schools. You've got Ron DeSantis reopening the schools. Well, we can't do that. So if that means, if that requires hurting kids and setting them back years and erasing decades of academic progress just to do the opposite of the bad men, so be it. And that's exactly what they did. And you could just go to the audio tape over and over again. Just to remind us, who were the people arguing against, hedging against, coming up with reasons not to just say, yes, schools need to be open in spite of all the data? Here's Randy Weingarten back in September of 2020 when schools should have been reopening and were a lot of places. Oh, Randy wasn't so sure. Scientist Randy Weingarten cut 20. Let me actually um, separate out the deniers and the governors and um, local authorities that actually believe that there was a pandemic. It is super, super, super hard in the places of the deniers. Actually, no. The so-called deniers, which I think is a slur and a smear and not true, the quote-unquote deniers were the ones who got schools back open and whose kids were harmed the least despite the very best efforts and slanders of Randy Weingarten. Then you can jump ahead to February of 2021. So you're now in like the second semester of that year. The data is plentiful from all over the world, but that's not good enough. Here's circle back. Then the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, she was saying, well, you know, oh, it's just so difficult. Cut 14. Many schools will tell you across the country, They were waiting for the CDC guidelines. They want to know how to do it safely, but they don't have they need the funding to hire more teachers. They need more bus drivers. They need uh, the ability to uh, implement the mitigation steps that are going to work for their school districts. Well, the CDC guidance was affected and impacted and altered by the teachers unions. We've seen that from FOIA emails, not science. It was politics. And again, it wasn't about doing something safely and needing funding. A bunch of schools in Europe and here just reopened. Come on in, kids. We're doing it. And it worked out fine. So that was their excuse in February of 2021. How about the spring? This was near the end of that school year. The education secretary, Cardona, cut 18. 
So if we can't blame President Biden for the fact that many schools are still closed, uh, do we blame teachers unions? No, I think that uh, another quick oh, uh, reopening schools in the middle of a pandemic is not as easy as uh, some may think. Actually, yes, it was. Yes, it was. And by May of 2021, it was abundantly clear. You didn't need a bunch of money and special new cleaners and air filtration systems or any of that stuff. You needed kids learning in schools because they were getting brutalized by sitting at home, not showing up for class, not engaging and losing precious ground in math and science. And by the way, the less means, the fewer means their families had, the farther behind they fell. And so the excuses were uh, you know, well underway by that point. And then here's back to Randy, Randy Weingarten, July of 2021. So this is ahead of last school year. This is now a year and a half into this thing. Still not fully committed. Randy's still not sure in July of 21, last summer, whether or not she can commit to schools being open in cut 11. Well, vaccination is the number one gold standard um, that we need to, you know, bring back our masks for schools. So the bottom line is we're going to keep kids safe. We're going to keep our members safe and we're going to try to open up schools and we're going to try to move through this political battlefield. We're going to try. We're going to try to open schools. This is a year and a half into this thing. That was Randy Weingarten. Notice I did not play a single soundbite of a Republican governor or a major Republican office holder saying, let's, you know, hold the phone on opening schools. Let's hold off. I'm not sure it's safe yet. There was one political party and one special interest group overwhelmingly responsible for the failures that we're learning about more and more every day, the failures to our children. These adults failed the kids of America in a lot of places. And that was Team Blue, the pro, supposedly pro-education, compassionate Team Blue. The record is clear. They can try to pretend otherwise. They can come up with these cockamamie, ludicrous talking points about how it was really the Republicans who were the bad guys and all of it. But ultimately, when the chips are down and they're asked to this day in the year of our Lord, 2022, did you make any mistakes? Should we have opened the schools sooner? They just say, oh, that's their basically their answer. A little bit more articulate than Patty Murray, perhaps. They won't admit it was wrong and they would do it again. And they're hoping that we'll all forget about it. And for the sake of the students that they failed so badly, we cannot forget about it. And because there will be no accountability from this administration, in fact, the worst actors in all of this have been promoted and rewarded. The only way to hold anyone accountable for any of this is at the uh, the ballot box in the second week of November. That's the truth. That's a hard reality. But it is reality nonetheless. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't care about a whole suite of issues heading into the midterms. There's a lot on our plate. We talk about a lot of things here. But this is something I can't let go, and I'm not even a parent yet. 
If you're a parent or a grandparent or you care about this stuff, this is the first national election after they did this to kids. They are unapologetic. They would do it again. They want to pretend like they didn't do what they did. They're lying to you. They're gaslighting to you. This is your first chance nationwide to let them know exactly how you feel about it. And I really hope you will. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. On our rundown, the plan in this segment was to talk about foreign politics and the voters down in Chile rejecting, thank goodness, an insane left-wing rewrite of their constitution. We'll get to that tomorrow. Also, our friends, our cousins over in the U.K., they've got a brand-new prime minister, Liz Truss. We told you about her when we were in London a few weeks ago. We'll get to that also tomorrow because I have one more soundbite related to all this teachers' union stuff and education stuff that we've spent this hour of the program talking about. John Fetterman, this left-winger running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Race is getting tighter, by the way, with Dr. Oz. Not a huge Dr. Oz fan, but, I mean, look at the alternative. He recently spoke at a different union event and basically said out loud how Democrats often deal with unions, especially the teachers' union, as we've learned. Cut 24, here's Fetterman. I'm not going to sit up here and, and pretend that I know exactly what's needed. I'm going to turn to you. If you send me to Washington, D.C., you'll be the first people that I'll call and want to sit down and meet with and find out what you need, what would be most helpful. How can we be most supportive? What are the resources you need? Because ultimately, you're the professionals. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. You're going to tell me how I can do my job better to support all of you. That is how Democrats view these union bosses. Like, we'll ask you how to do our job. You'll give us a bunch of money and we will salute. And that's been especially true on education. And look at the results for kids. Fetterman would be another vote for this stuff. I mean, it's it's not close to me. Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, guys. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. city in the world unconventional talk from a fresh unconventional conservative guy benson show it's a brand new hour here on the guy benson show our middle hour we air 3 to 6 p.m eastern every weekday guy is our website all the info that you might need is right there and our podcast of course is always free on demand guy As we begin our middle hour, a Fox News alert with the Dow closing down again, 173 points at the close today, ending at 31,145. We are very close to being exactly two months out from the midterm elections with very high stakes. We've been talking about them now for weeks. We really dove into one of them in the last hour. And joining me now is a man who is seeking the governorship in the great state of Wisconsin. Tim Michaels is the Republican nominee out there. He's a conservative businessman and a veteran, and he is hoping to throw Governor Evers out and restore Republican leadership to that state. And, Tim, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Guy. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to talking I just want with to you start- and everybody else. Absolutely. And we have a national audience here. We've definitely got listeners in Wisconsin. I hear from them. 
There's other folks who remember Governor Walker and everything that they threw at them, and they've sort of watched what's happened in Wisconsin and Kenosha and elsewhere in recent years, and they might be wondering about the job performance of the incumbent Governor Evers that you're trying to beat. What are the stakes in your mind of your race in your state, and why should other people around the country be paying some attention? That's a good question. Uh, it's a unique time in, in America, not only for the race here in Wisconsin for the governorship, but you know all, all across the country. I think people are very frustrated with the direction of the country. They're very frustrated with the direction that the Democratic Party is, is taking uh, their party. And I'll tell you, a lot of people here in Wisconsin that are hardworking, taxpaying, law-abiding citizens, they come up to me all the time on the street and they say, Tim, thank you for running. I'm tired of politics as usual. Uh, I want a businessman in there. I want an outsider in there. And the, the, these people are just saying uh, it's it's time for a change. And that's what that's what's going to happen here in Wisconsin. It's a real bellwether of the entire uh, midterm election. Are we going to have an outsider get elected? Are people going to reelect our incumbent de- Democratic governor who, who's very liberal and really has failed at everything he's done from COVID to Kenosha? He's been a weak leader. People are ready for change, and that's why we're going to win. And the polling in Wisconsin, Wisconsin is the purplest of purple states. It's, it's a 50-50 yep. swing state. But we, uh, we're dead heat. I mean, the last poll that came out on Thursday was 48-48, and that's really great for a Republican because Ron Johnson, our U.S. senator, uh, six years ago when he ran, he was down nine points. Trump, four years ago, he, he was down, uh, or six years ago when he was originally elected, he was down six points. So if we're a dead even, I really believe that we're up a few points. And what I mean by that, these hardworking folks that in Wisconsin that are very frustrated, they don't talk to pollsters. And they're, they are ready for change. So the race is going absolutely uh, absolutely as well as it possibly can. And in nine, nine weeks from today, uh, we're going to elect a new governor here in Wisconsin. What does that mean? We have a Republican legislature here in Wisconsin, Republican State Senate, and a Republican Assembly. And we're going to get great things done. We're going to get Wisconsin headed in the right direction for generations to come. Let me ask you about your background briefly, because you're, as you say, a newcomer to the political process. You were in the military. You served. Then you helped run a business, a successful one. Tell us a little bit about that, the biography, because I know the Dems are coming after you very hard as a wild-eyed, extremist, scary guy. Uh, what have you done with your life? Yeah, so so in, in short, I was born and raised in a little farm town in Wisconsin, uh, Brownsville, about an hour north of Milwaukee. Population 342 as a, as a kid growing up and, you know, helped the farmers around there bale hay. And when uh, went to college, got into ROTC, uh, went on active duty. I was uh, sworn in as a second lieutenant in the infantry in the U.S. Army, served 12 years on active duty. I uh, went to airborne school, paratrooper school, ranger school, air assault school, jungle warfare school, low-intensity conflict school, and kind of went all in. And uh, the greatest honor I had in my 12 years, I was also the commander of the Honor Guard, uh, at Arlington Cemetery with the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Those are my guys. But wow. after 12 years, I got out at the rank of major and uh, rejoined the family business. My father had started a, a construction company, a, a pipeline infrastructure company, back in 1960. And when he, he passed away a year after I got out of the Army, he had a few hundred employees. And I stood shoulder to shoulder with my brothers over the past 25 years. And today we employ over 8,000 people. And these are great family-supporting jobs. Uh, the average labor annual wage at, at Michael's is $97,000 a year. 
These are great jobs uh, with great benefits, great health care on top of it. And, and people are excited about that. You know, there's nothing fancy about growing up in a little farm town. Uh, like Brownsville. There's nothing fancy about serving in the infantry for 12 years. There's nothing fancy about working in construction. Yet people see uh, a, a candidate and a, who's going to be a governor who knows how to make plans, execute plans, get things done, solve problems. That's why we're surging. That's why we've had this meteoric rise since I got in the race five months ago. And that's why we're going to win nine weeks from today. I think that's a really cool story. It's a very uh, an American story, listening to it. And, Tim, I have to ask you about this because I've seen the press is going after you, and often, as you know, they act as henchmen for the Democrats, about some of your charitable giving to churches and to pro-life pregnancy centers. They're trying to make that an issue and attack you for it. What do you make of that? How do you think those attacks laundered through the press are playing in Wisconsin? Well, they're they're becoming unhinged. They're getting desperate. They they know that they're losing. They know that they're going to lose, and they're pulling out all the stops, stops if you will. So the, the little more background, you know, I've been very successful. Uh, worked hard. I'm not going to apologize for my success. But my wife and I have chosen to give back to the community. We do it quietly. We don't make a big you know big show of it. But of course, they did some research on uh, on our foundation, and we've given money to churches, and we've given money to pro-life causes, and we've given money to uh, cancer research. Uh, like a lot of people, like most everybody, they know someone that has had cancer or has been affected by cancer. And our daughter, uh, it's a great story. She's uh, doing very well today, but you know she's been battling brain cancer for the past ten years, and we've mm-hmm. given a lot of money to cancer research. Well, the the liberal media has taken this and twisted it, and said that the churches and uh, my my aunt is a, is a Franciscan nun and they said that these are anti-gay groups and you know they're running TV commercials saying that I'm a radical uh, anti-gay anti-abortion zealot and they're, they're really trying to twist it but we worked hard this weekend like we do every day on the campaign trail I was at you know a dozen festivals fairs all that stuff and people come up to me and they're just shaking their head they're like Tim they're they're doing everything they can to tear you down this is really silly what's going on people are smart. People are smart. I, I think a lot of the times the liberal media and the Democrats, and they, they, don't, they don't think people are, but people see, see through what's going on. Yeah, I, I hope you're right about it. And it's so close. It always, it always is in Wisconsin, as you point out. It's just, you know, a coin flip and it comes down to turnout. And that's going to be the name of the game in November. Tim Michaels, the Republican nominee for governor in Wisconsin. Tim, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you. Take a break. Be right back. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Thank you very much for being here. And I think this story probably qualifies as Woke Tales. Woke Tales. If you're listening on the live broadcast, the bumper song coming into the segment was a Jason Aldean song, the country music star. And this broke over the weekend. His PR firm that's represented him for years is now dropping him because of a controversy surrounding statements made on Instagram by the singer's wife. Here's the story from The Hill. Country singer Jason Aldean has been dropped by his longtime PR firm days after his wife, Brittany Aldean, made critical comments about gender-affirming care for trans children. Now, let me just pause there for a second. I've been very consistent about the importance of being kind 
and being empathetic to all people. And I think some of the discrimination and sometimes violence that the trans community faces is appalling and indefensible. I also think we need to be able to have difficult and complicated, complex conversations about trans issues, especially when it comes to athletic competition and even more so when it comes to children. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are committed to making sure that we cannot have those types of conversations. Just trying to shout down anyone who might object to something or ask to see data or wonder about the wisdom or propriety of, for example, major surgery for young children. They want to call them and shut down their questions or their skepticism as rank bigotry. And I think that that is not helpful, to put it pretty mildly. And I think the term gender-affirming care is a loaded term that is not really journalistic. I think that's an activist term because there are lots of people who have transitioned, especially early in their lives, who come to regret it. Many do not. I'm not saying that this is something that isn't a real phenomenon or anything like that, but there absolutely are people who have detransitioned, and their stories, I think, and their voices matter, or they should matter. And to call it gender-affirming care, I think that that is too broad a term that puts a thumb on the scale of the debate. And we've seen actually some other Western countries moving away from an uber-progressive stance on these issues because we still don't have good data on the effects that this type of process has on young kids, irreversible decisions being made at very young ages. And I think what we're seeing in this country is the Biden administration moving in an even more dramatic and radical way, in such a way, in fact, that has been backed away from by countries, for example, in Western Europe. So I just wanted to make that little side note about the term gender-affirming care. But Jason Aldean's wife, Brittany Aldean, went on Instagram And she wrote that she would, quote, really like to thank my parents for not changing my gender when I went through my tomboy phase. So this, of course, was labeled and determined to be hate speech or bigotry or ugliness or transphobic or whatever. And now the PR firm that for nearly two decades has represented Jason Aldean, they are severing ties with him. Quote, music has always been and remains the green room's core focus. That's the name of this group, the green room. So we had to make the difficult decision after 17 years to step away from representing Jason, said Tyne Parrish, co-owner of the green room, in a statement first shared with Billboard. Think about that. Music has always been and remains the green room's core focus. Well, obviously not. If they were focused on music... And the performance and the body of work of Jason Aldean, they would have no problem representing him because it would be about the music. They are making this about something other than the music. They're making it about not even social media posts of his, but of his spouse. What kind of message does that send? Is this a PR firm telling a man, basically, go get your girl. She's out of control. We can't do this anymore holding him responsible for public statements and social media posts of his spouse? 
What, has Jason Aldean not controlled his woman enough for the tastes of the green room? I think it's actually a pretty problematic thing. If we want to play the woke game, which obviously they want to, it's kind of problematic. They're holding him responsible for the statement of the woman that he happens to be married to. Like, in some way, he's responsible for what she thinks and what she says. And the insulting thing here is they try to pretend that really it's just about the music. No, it's not. It's about something other than the music. It's about a big, woke mob getting angry and coming after you. You know this is what happened. This didn't happen in a vacuum. They didn't wake up one day, see the Instagram post, and say, oh, gosh, that's uncomfortable. Let's cut ties. No, there was absolutely some sort of pressure campaign afoot within the company and externally. This is how it works. And they all got very worried and they had their meetings. I think they probably don't care about country music's core fan base. They so rarely care about their core fan base. We see this in other areas as well, Major League Baseball, NFL football. Right? They are more than happy to spit in the face of a bunch of people who pay their bills in order to make these little woke problems go away. So they try to pretend that this is really done about the music when, by definition, this has nothing to do with the music. And it has everything to do with something said, a comment or a joke or a statement, whatever, however she wants to talk about her beliefs, of the artist's wife. And therefore, I guess they look, this is just, you know, oh, we we support gender affirming care. Uh, we, we don't like that tomboy comment. And so uh, we're done here. I guess she'd made other controversial posts and statements in the past. She's now saying that her comments were taken out of context. I guess it doesn't matter because this, again, 17-year relationship is over. Not because of anything that he did, not because of lagging sales, not because of the music, but because his wife had something to say that riled up some folks who then probably peppered this company with emails and phone calls and social media posts, and now they've caved. How incredibly disloyal, how incredibly craven and cowardly. This is just a gutless move. And I think that the green room, anyone that they still represent, those people might want to think twice because something that they might do or say or someone in their family might say or do one day might just be too much for the green room and their weak need leadership, which is beholden to a bunch of strangers, radical strangers. And you might get canceled at the drop of a hat based on something that you didn't even say yourself. How does that sound? Does that sound like a good, healthy relationship between a client and the people who represent them? I don't think so. Maybe they were doing Jason Aldean something of a favor, and perhaps other people should pay attention as well. I'm not here to fully agree or disagree with what the guy's wife put on Instagram. It's not the point. It should never be the point. And the fact that they're trying to pretend that ultimately this just comes down to being always about the music, BS. Obviously not true. I know people like, oh, cancel culture isn't real. Nonsense. And here's another little skirmish. Jason Aldean will be just fine. Up and comers? 
Right, if you want to make it in the industry next, I wonder if you'll tell your significant other, hey, you know what? Uh, don't say anything. Don't say what you believe. We don't want to have our livelihood threatened, jeopardized, or taken away from us. That's the point of this. It's that fear that they're trying to instill. And the mob, unfortunately, notches far too many wins. So the only way to push back is to shame the people who cave, in this case, the green room and Tyne Parish. For a weak decision and an insult to our collective intelligence to boot. And that's Woke Tales. Woke Tales. The Guy Benson Show continues. Josh Krasauer here next. Stay with us. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free, on demand every day. Joining us is Josh Krasauer, politics reporter, senior politics reporter, in fact, at Axios and a Fox News radio political analyst. Josh, always good to have you here. Hey, Guy. Great to be back on the show. So I see that you're doing a bit of a reporting trip this week in Virginia in Pennsylvania, in New Hampshire, which races are you focusing on and what are you hoping to learn as you go on the ground and talk to sources, talk to the campaigns, talk to voters? Yeah, well, well there are a bunch of campaigns that, that I'll be covering this week. Probably the most important one in terms of timeliness is New Hampshire with their primaries taking place in, in a week. And you have these Republican primaries between sort of the more mainstream electable candidates versus more right-wing uh, figures. And whoever wins these primaries is, is going to set the trajectory of the general election, whether Republicans can maybe win the Senate seat in New Hampshire or they can pick up some swing districts in, 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 in the state as well for the House. Uh, so that, that is one of my big focuses uh, going to New Hampshire. I'm going to be spending some time with Dr. Oz on the campaign trail earlier in, the, or in a couple of days. Uh, he's doing an event with Nikki Haley in, in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So that's going to be uh, a big, big, big uh, appearance as Oz is starting to get his sea legs uh, wet and, and starting to get a little traction against uh, Fetterman, perhaps, in that big Pennsylvania Senate race. And right now I'm actually in uh, at a union hall outside of uh, Northern Virginia where uh, Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger is, is doing a campaign swing and uh, she may be one of the this may be one of the more important bellwether races uh whether uh republicans can have a big wave election year that this is going to be one of these seats that's going to be watched very closely so uh three different races three different types of candidates and and, and primaries general elections both but a uh, lot, lot of campaigning going on in the final stretch of, of this election josh you mentioned new hampshire i want to stop there for a moment as you said the primaries are coming up next week And there's a battle right now about who will take on Maggie Hassan, the incumbent Democratic senator up there who's been basically a rubber stamp for Joe Biden, seen as vulnerable. The polling suggests that she's vulnerable. She's got a big war chest, though, and it's unclear who the Republicans are going to put up against her as they didn't get their number one recruit, the sitting governor, Chris Sununu. He's instead running for reelection in that capacity. But. There was some discussion of this just last week. On Thursday, of course, President Biden gave that speech in Philadelphia with the backdrop, blood red lighting in the Marines and all the controversy around that, talking about the existential threat to democracy. 
and the deep, disturbing threat to the republic represented by MAGA Republicans. And then the next day, Friday, there was reporting that Senator Chuck Schumer and his campaign PAC were pouring in millions of new dollars yet again. This has been a pattern of the Democrats across the country in House races, governor races, Senate races. In this case, they're pouring three plus million dollars into New Hampshire to boost what Biden and Democrats would call the ultra MAGA candidate against the more mainstream Republican candidate, because the theory is they want to face the quote unquote extreme MAGA person. They think he would be easier to defeat in a general election. And so you have the president out there saying one thing about how this has to be above politics, transcend petty politics. Good people need to unite around these issues and these principles that matter. And then one day later, yet again, the Democrats put their money where their mouth isn't in this case and in this pattern, trying to meddle up in New Hampshire in the opposite direction of what their rhetoric would suggest they might be doing. What do you make of that, first of all? I know we've talked about this phenomenon before, and then i got a few sound bites to play for you. Yeah, it's very hypocritical for the president to give a speech decrying this wing of the Republican Party that he calls the the, the MAGA semi-fascist wing of, of the party, and then having his party spend $3.1 million to essentially help the MAGA candidate win the primary. Now, in New Hampshire, it's the, the, the guy who's running who fits the MAGA label is a former military guy by the name of Don Balduck, who actually is not, has not been endorsed. Trump has not gotten involved in the primary, but Balduck has gotten, gotten in trouble and then made a whole string of controversial comments um, suggesting Sununu was a communist, a secret communist uh, uh, operative to making comments about vaccines that are just very politically, uh, you know, uh, extreme. And, uh, you know, Morris is the head of the state Senate. Chuck Morris is the candidate that, that you know, the Mitch McConnell would prefer to have in that race. And they spent the, the super PAC aligned with Mitch McConnell spending four plus million dollars uh, to boost Chuck Morris. Chuck Morris is the president of the of the state Senate and seen as a more electable candidate. Yeah. You know, oh, and that's why the Democrats are spending against him. Right. The Democrats would like to have the MAGA guy in there because they think they can already they're sort of their mouths are watering. They are salivating at the prospect of running these ads against him. So they're spending millions of dollars preemptively to try to get that guy on the ticket. And you can say, well, politically, that might make sense for them. They want the weaker Republican. You can go that route, but you cannot go that route at the same time that the biggest thing that your party's leader is out there saying is that these types of folks threaten the very nature and fabric and system of government in the United States. You can't have it both ways. Right. I mean, there is a lot of hypocrisy there. Now, they would say that they're, they actually in this ad, they actually don't boost the MAGA Republican explicitly. They're, they're going after the more mainstream Republican. And you've heard spin from Democrats in the past saying, well, they're just getting ready for the general election. They, they want to go <laughs> negative against the guy who could be the nominee. But you're right guy that this is this is clear meddling in, in the Republican primary. We're not we're, there's no early voting in New Hampshire. The primary is taking place on the 13th. You know, I, I will say, though, like at this point, Republicans should get wise to the fact that Democrats are meddling in their primary. And yeah. maybe you don't want to pick the candidate who Democrats want you to pick. I mean, yes. No, I, I, I'm on board for that. It's like, dear Republican <laughs> voters, if the Democrats are telling you with millions of dollars who they would prefer to run against, and when in their minds, maybe you should take that into consideration as you make your decision about whom you're going to support in a very important primary, in a very important state, in a winnable seat 
with everything at stake in the United States Senate. On that front, Josh, yesterday, or I guess now at this point it was Sunday, because today's Tuesday, that always tricks you on the long weekends. On Sunday on CNN, Patty Murray, who is one of the leading Democrats in the Senate, she is a part of leadership. She's up for re-election out in Washington state. She was on State of the Union, and Dana Bash of CNN asked her about this, and Murray's answer was very similar to what we've heard in recent weeks from Nancy Pelosi, basically shrugging and saying, look, man, this is about just, you know, winning in power. Cut six. Are you okay with Democrats helping election deniers in Republican primaries like New Hampshire? I I believe what Democratic supporters are doing is working to make sure that we have a Democratic majority in the United States Senate and the Congress. I mean, that's just sort of the quiet part out loud, Josh. They don't really believe what they're saying on MAGA Republicans, threat to the country, even though the president is going out there beating that drum as loudly as he can. They want to weaken more viable Republican candidates and beat, in their mind, weaker Republican candidates. So that's why they're doing this. It's not really a mystery at this point. That's right, Guy. I mean, they, they, they're all about winning, right? That, that's their bottom line. And they view these extreme candidates as, as a lot more beatable than more mainstream Republican candidates. And, you know, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, who's the, the House Democratic uh, chairman, was on Fox News Sunday also the, this past weekend, and he kind of acknowledged that. He, he was a little more explicit about it in, in that he said, well, look, the reason we got involved in a Michigan race is because, you know, A, it's more beatable, but he also mentioned the abortion issue, and the Republicans are pro-life, we're pro-choice, so it's all about winning. It's all about, you know, basically the, that issue taking taking more precedence. So this is this is ultimately about winning a majority, winning more seats. It, the, the high-minded ideals that you often hear Democrats talk about are undermined when, when they're spending, I think it's well over 50, well over 50 million, maybe a whole lot more than that, in, in spending in these primaries on behalf of Yeah, Matt they don't believe it. it. They don't believe it. They can say whatever they want. They don't believe the rhetoric. And yet what they want is a bunch of moderate, swingy, suburban voters to take them seriously on that rhetoric and vote accordingly when their actions, their spending, tell a very different story. And then relatedly touching on the same issue, this was uh, just a couple hours ago in the briefing room at the White House. Our colleague Peter Ducey here at Fox asked a question that I've been waiting for someone to ask of Corrine Jean-Pierre who is the president's spokeswoman, the White House press secretary. Joe Biden said in that speech last week that someone who does not acknowledge legitimate election results is a threat to democracy. And I've joked that I'm waiting then for Biden to endorse Brian Kemp for reelection in Georgia, as opposed to the election truther Democrat, Stacey Abrams. Of course, that's never going to happen because Biden doesn't believe his own words on this stuff, but they should be called out on it anyway. And Ducey asked KJP about her own comments questioning the legitimacy of elections and saying that legitimate elections won by Republicans had been stolen or that, you know, Republicans were illegitimate having won some elections that she didn't like. Here's what that back and forth sounded like. Again, this was just a little while ago today. Cut 33. You tweeted in 2016 Trump stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Well, here we go. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results is extreme now, why was it? So let's be really clear that that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have been, I have been, well, you're asking me, you're asking me a question. Let me answer it. And you said it was ridiculous. I was. I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. 
Josh, just editorializing here myself, for a question that by her own admission, Ms. Jean-Pierre was waiting a long time to answer, had been anticipating for quite some time. What an awful response, right? Saying, oh, I knew you were going to ask this. I was waiting for this. And then it's like, oh, well, when I said it, it doesn't really count because I was talking about some other thing about voting rights. She tweeted what she tweeted. The president, based on his standards, would call that a threat to democracy. And at least as far as I'm concerned, listening to that, there wasn't actually a responsive answer there, just sort of an attempt to dismiss the question as, quote, ridiculous. Your thoughts? Yeah, Korean jump there should have just said I made a mistake. It was Twitter. Sometimes it's easy to say overheated things on Twitter and then, and then move on. Like that, that's a smart PR move. Uh, instead, she kind of almost added fuel to the fire by, you know, and, and look, I, I do think it's different when the pres- former president of the United States is doing what he's doing beyond Twitter and what, what a, you know, a, a former uh, or before she was press secretary, which she tweeted online. But it does show the double standard where Democrats are unwilling to confront someone like Stacey Abrams, who, you know, goes into the twists and turns about why she doesn't acknowledge the results of the 2018 election for governor in Georgia and how many Democrats were you know, you know, uh, mimicking her rhetoric about uh, you know, that, 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 same, that same issue, and now they're being held to account for, for that type of rhetoric. Uh, you know, she should just say, that was a mistake, I apologize, and move on. The fact that they can't do that means that there's a part of their base, too, the, the very uh, progressive base, that also believes in some dubious <laughs> narratives of yep. election. Yeah, which polling has borne out many times before. Exactly right. Finally, Josh Krasauer, I do want to ask you about this. I saw the first lady of Florida, Casey DeSantis, tweeted a clip. It's a minute-long ad that's going to be running all over the state of Florida, statewide on behalf of her husband's reelection campaign. This is a Ron DeSantis for governor ad. You tweeted about it as well earlier, saying you think it's a strong ad. Let's listen to it together. Cut 32. Ladies and gentlemen, Governor Ron DeSantis. Today we deliver for the people of Florida yet again. You saved our jobs. And kept us going. They tried to shut us down, and you saved our business. $1,000 bonuses. You had our backs. And honored our service. You led by facts, not fear. And you let us decide. You let me go to school. You gave me a voice. You put us first. And didn't let them keep us apart. You let us learn. You let us compete. All of us. You protected our right to worship together in person. And you raised our pay. You protected our waters. And kept Florida beautiful. When they attacked you, you didn't cave. You stood strong for Florida. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Gracias, Governor DeSantis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. All right, Josh. So I like the ad as well. It sort of opens with DeSantis coming out to give a statement or a press conference, and there's people around Florida watching and then explaining why they're grateful to him and thanking him for his support in defending various freedoms and their ability to work and all of that. A lot of it, of course, tied back to the pandemic. What strikes me about it, and I'll give you the last word on this, is of the statewide spots that I've seen DeSantis running so far, they have been positive ads. There's a lot of fodder out there against Charlie Crist and his running mate, who's sort of a crazy person. But at least to open sort of the general election season, Ron DeSantis is going positive in Florida. What do you make of it? Not just going positive, but focusing on COVID-related policies that he opened up the state, kept schools open. And and, and that is the theme of the ad. And look, COVID is – 
decreased. That's an issue. People are saying that it's not a voting issue anymore. But Republicans like DeSantis, and I think DeSantis, you know, can can tout this more than any other any other Republican elected official by doing things against the grain, so to speak, by by keep by, by keeping his state open, by questioning some of the the public health establishment. He still thinks that's going to be a resonant issue in Florida come twenty twenty two, and. Uh, that's not the only ad he's run on that theme. So I, I think this is a very important message uh, for Republicans that you can look at the polls, at the economy, inflation, crime. Obviously, those are dominant issues. But when I look at the 2021 results, Guy, when I look at Virginia, when I look at New Jersey, some of the local New York elections, those off-year elections were a, a referendum on COVID policy and how, you know, in Virginia, <laughs> the schools were closed and, and, and the curriculum yep. was, was, was out of whack. In New Jersey, you know, the same, same deal. And I think DeSantis is making a very smart bet that that even though people aren't saying COVID is the big issue, people do remember the scar tissue of, of the last couple of years. And that's a big reason why he his popularity is, 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 is as solid as it is and why he's on track to win a second term. And I think other yeah. Republicans are going to be watching that closely to see how that how, how, how that works in Florida. Maybe it's translatable for other governors elsewhere. And that one issue ties into so many other sub-issues as well on the economy, on schools, as you mentioned. Josh Krasauer, we got to leave it there for now. Senior politics reporter at Axios and a Fox News radio political analyst. Josh, safe travels on the campaign trail. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Guy. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this. Guy Benson will be right back. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, thank you for listening. Whenever we talk about Black Lives Matter here on the program, I make the distinction between the proposition behind that phrase and the organization that has taken that name. And I support the former, but totally reject the latter. And we have covered here some of the allegations about grift, misuse of funding, self-dealing and self-enrichment. When it comes to the millions of dollars that float into the coffers of this organization, a lot of it, by the way, from corporations and large organizations looking to do their woke penance and basically tithe to the church of wokeism and leftism. And people have raised, I think, very fair questions about where a lot of that money went and what it has been used to do. Well, here's the latest twist and turn in that saga from The Hill. Black Lives Matter leaders on Friday sued an executive of the group charging that he siphoned $10 million in donations to the organization for use as his own, quote, personal piggy bank. And so that's an internal fight. And if that's true, I wonder if there might be a crime committed there. You'd think fraud we will be watching that. And I do wonder if any of these groups that plowed a bunch of money into this organization, a very radical organization, do they have any second thoughts given the steady drumbeat of stories like this about the stewardship of this group? And the return on investment, let's say, of that money. I wonder. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up next. Tom Homan, former acting director of ICE, here in studio when we return. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's our final hour on this Tuesday here on the Guy Benson Show. 
Thank you very much for tuning in. Between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday, between 5 and 6 Eastern, it's the happy hour. Sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Expanding all over the place. I heard from quite a few of you over the long weekend. Trying Long Drink for the very first time. We love to see it. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where they're sold in your neighborhood, your neck of the woods. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. And our website here for all ages, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free of charge, on demand, every day, at Guy Benson Show, Twitter, and Instagram. Joining me here in studio in Washington, D.C., is Tom Homan. He's been on the program multiple times, first time face-to-face. He's the former acting director of ICE, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation and a Fox News contributor. Tom, it's great to see you. Great to see you. I want to start with this issue that I've only started to become aware of in the last couple of weeks, and I think intuitively I understand why it's disturbing, but I'm hoping you can sort of fill in some of the gaps here and talk about the specifics. This rainbow fentanyl that's being discovered at the border, this very dangerous drug coming into the country, when you see photographs, images of it, it really does look like candy, you know, sugary candy of some sort. What's the concern here just beyond the fact that this is yet more fentanyl coming into the country? We're catching some of it. Undoubtedly, we're not catching a lot of it. Oh, no, you know, the CBP's bragging on the amount of fentanyl this season, which is good. But that's when a fraction was coming across the border. And let me explain that. You know, you, you get members of Congress, they want to put a lot of money in, in the port of entries. Say, you know what, that's where all the drugs are, are, are coming through. Wrong. That's where all the, most of the drugs are seized because every vehicle stopped. Then an officer, through questioning, will decide, do you get secondary for a search or not? Between the ports of entry is where the majority of drugs come from. And we know that based on intelligence reports and based on, you know, uh, uh, witnesses and, 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 and snitches that we, 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 we've gotten over the years. And the reason you got a fentanyl crisis right now, because you have a border crisis. This border crisis has caused up to 70 percent of border patrol agents in some sectors have been pulled off the line to process family units, change diapers, make baby formula, make hospital runs, make airport runs. When you get 70% of border traders off the line, the cartels know that. They're the one that drives your group. They'll send a group of 200 through one area, knowing the border patrol will seize upon that humanitarian crisis and leave you know, miles of border empty. And that's when the cartels move the fentanyl. It's not a coincidence. The same year, same year you have historic illegal immigration that you have historic fentanyl overdose deaths. The scary thing now is that now they're making the fentanyl look like candy. So they're targeting children. All right, we have over 100,000 fentanyl deaths since Joe Biden became president. A lot more. And this year is going to be the worst we've ever seen. DEA has said you're going to see a crisis this year like we've never seen before. Why? Again, because a lot of the border is open, it's not being secured, and the, and the gangs, are, and gangs and cartels moving the drugs across. That's why you see so much violence in Mexico right now. The cartels have never made this much money. They're making money on smuggling aliens. They're making money on trafficking of women and children for sex trade. They're making record amount of money on drug smuggling. And I, I was told when I was at the border a couple months ago, and this blew me away, that the cartels, they control the human trafficking, yeah. right? Some people don't recognize that. That's a fact. They're making over $100 million a week on that trade is what we were told by the Texas officials down there. That's the sum of money that's almost hard to really comprehend. This dangerous international criminal organization making that amount of money weekly just in that element of their business, if you will. And because they make that amount, and that, that, number, that number is accurate, but because they make so much money, 
they control Mexico. Much of the military, much of the uh, law enforcement do- down there are on the take. We know that. I, I've done it for leaders. 34 years. Yes. And they control the northern border of Mexico, which is our southern border. They control our southern border. I've talked to several chief patrol agents in confidence that would tell me they've lost operational control of the southern border. They cannot contain what's coming across. One chief patrol agent used the word broken arrow. He says, Tom, we're at broken arrow status. I can't contain what's coming. And that's why we got up. We got right now approximately 900,000 gotaways since Joe Biden became president. 900,000. We'll, we'll be at a million by the end of the fiscal year. Think about that. You add to that the 4 million that they encountered on the border plus the million gotaways. That's 5 million people illegally entering this country in two years he's been president. Why would they, from the drug cartel perspective, why would they try to target kids? Why would they try to make these very dangerous, deadly drugs look like candy? The cartels are awful and evil, but they also want to keep their business thriving. And I think children dropping dead is probably bad for business. Why are they doing that? Is it to try to fool people if they're caught saying, oh, it's just candy, it's not drugs? What's going on there? No, they're targeting children. I'm telling you, they're ruthless. Just like you know, the, the whole vaping and the whole but to the, get them hooked, the candy, the candy flavored vaping, targeting children, they're doing the same thing. So the cartels don't care. It's all about the bottom dollar. What this government's failing to do is holding Mexico responsible for all the fentanyl in the past couple of years in China. If President Trump was in office, this would not be happening because President Trump would threaten tariffs on Mexico unless they took action against the criminal cartels in Mexico. He did it. And it worked. This administration isn't threatening anybody. Matter of fact, the last meeting the president of Mexico had with President Biden, the president of Mexico was telling Joe Biden what Mexico needed, not the other way around. But please understand, they are targeting children. And, 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 and this just scared every American that children are going to die every day in this country in fentanyl overdoses to add over 100,000 already. Six figures in deaths from fentanyl just in the last year plus that is an astonishing and very disturbing and upsetting number. And yet it feels like a lot of people just sort of don't bat an eyelash at that, right? You, you hear about these overdoses and you get these huge numbers of figures that you're quoting here. And a lot of Americans, I think, are unaware that it's happening. I think a lot of politicians recognize that it's probably unhelpful to focus on it very much for political reasons. So they don't, right? I mean – that has to be one of the most frustrating things from where you sit and from where law enforcement, you know, their perspective. It's a crisis that's killing huge numbers of Americans, especially younger Americans, a leading cause of death among younger Americans. And a lot of the people in charge of the country simply want to look the other way for political expediency. Well, there's a couple of misnomers out there. First of all, I've talked to people who said, well, you know, if they want to take drugs and they die, that's on them. They got to understand many of the fentanyl deaths are accidental. These are young college kids, you know, taking a pill to stay up all night to study for a test, not knowing it's laced with fentanyl. These are kids who are taking, you know, uh, an athlete's taking a painkiller, thinking it's just a painkiller, not knowing it's laced with fentanyl. So a lot of these deaths, which I call homicides because the Mexican cartels are hiding, hiding the fact they're lacing certain medicines with fentanyl. And, and other people says, well, if it don't affect me personally, I don't care. It's getting to the point everybody in this country is going to know someone that died of fentanyl overdoses. And this is what it's I've been like saying. Just, just wait. You think it doesn't affect you? Yeah. Maybe wait. And talk, talk to someone that lost a child with fentanyl poison. I have. It's, it's a very, very sad thing because these parents, their kid goes to bed one night and never wakes up. And the parent finds him next morning. 
But what people need to realize, I've been saying this for six months now, If I don't care what your position is on illegal immigration. A lot of people don't agree with what I, what I think on illegal immigration. But what's happening right now is bigger than illegal immigration. When you get 70% of agents off the line, that's when the drugs are coming across. And the fentanyl is hitting every town, city, and state in this country. That's when the pedophiles come across. That's when the gang members come across. That's when, look, they've arrested. This is not fear-mongering. I just want to jump in. To someone who doesn't pay attention to these issues, it might sound like right-wing fear-mongering about you know, dangerous people. We can have a very nuanced conversation saying that the vast majority of illegal immigrants are not here to do anyone harm. They just want to make a better living for themselves and send money home for their families. They don't have a right to do that, but it's totally understandable. I can empathize. However, there is a public safety component and a national security component to this. I say it all the time that a lot of people, they try to make us feel guilty about talking about it at all because, oh, it's so unseemly. You're demagoguing. You're painting with a broad brush. No, we can have a very specific conversation, and they should have to answer for this part of it because it's not like it doesn't exist. It is absolutely part of the reality, Tom. You know that. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just – I'm trying to take a step back and explain why even some people who might be skeptical, they need to pay attention to this. Yeah, I tell people all the time, look, you know, Tom Hoban is not anti-immigrant. Tom Hoban is anti-immigration. And you're right when you mention national security. This should scare every one of your listeners. Border Patrol has arrested 66 people on the TSA screening database, FBI screening database. 66 they've arrested. We got 900,000 gotaways. Border Patrol has arrested people from 161 different countries. Many of those countries sponsor terrorism. So if you don't think a single one of the 900,000 didn't come here to do this country harm, then you're ignoring the data. I'm not a fear monger. I've done this for 35 years. I'm, I'm speaking on experience. You know, last time I was called a fear monger was by the court Ninth Circuit, Dolly G. She made a decision. We were detaining family under the Obama administration. We were detaining family units in a, in a residential center. We were detaining detaining them for up to 40 days. They saw a judge, 90% loss. We put an airplane and sent them home. Success. But the Ninth Circuit all of a sudden said, no, you can only hold them for 20 days. And in my affidavit, I said 20 days is not enough to see a judge. The process doesn't work that quick. If you do that, you're going to see records of family groups coming across this country that I've never seen before. That's the last time I was called a fear monger. You're a fear monger. You have no evidence of that. Well. Now, what happened? What happened? Yeah. We got hundreds of thousands of family units coming across the the border, and thousands have died. So, you know, I, I, I challenge anybody to go. I've done a lot of fox hits in the last three years. You pull up any fox that I've done in three years, and you show me once where I was wrong, or I said something was going to happen, and it didn't. I've done this for a long time. I, I, look, and I'm not bragging. What I'm saying is if you wear my shoes you for 35 credibility. You have credibility. Wear my shoes for 35 years. Talk to the young girls I've talked to, as young as 12, that have been raped numerous times by the cartels. Talk to parents whose children have been killed by an illegal alien. Angel moms and dads. Hold a five-year-old child in your arms like I did in a back of a tractor trailer that suffocated to death, baked to death in the back of a tractor trailer with, with 18 other migrants. You wear my shoes. You, 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 you prosecute cartels and hear their stories, and you'd be as, as upset as I am every day mm-hmm. because illegal immigration, illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. There's a whole underback belly of cartels raping women, 31%. Killing migrants who can't pay their fees, killing Border Patrol agents over the past years, and the number of migrants that have died already under Joe Biden. We're at 1,300 deaths since he became president. No one's talking about it except this network. That is a historic record. Now, that's humane policies. Yeah, do those lives matter? 
right? That That's a question that I think needs to be asked consistently. I would just tweak one thing that you just said, and you can disagree with me if you want to. You said walk in your shoes for 35 years and then come back and argue with you. I would say someone could walk in your shoes for three to five weeks down at the border right now and experience what happens a month at a time, and they might have to admit that you're right. It doesn't have to be decades. It can be days at this point. It's that obvious when you're down well, there. You're absolutely right, and so that is a great point. AOC, Congressman you know, Castro from Austin, a bunch of them ran down during, when I was working for the Trump administration. Two children died within the next week. Board did everything, everything they could to try to save these kids. They were in bad shape and they were found. They ran down there. How, you know, what's the Trump administration? The two children died on your watch. What, what, what the hell are we doing about this? And they claim the Border Patrol were, were heartless. They claim they're inhumane. Where are they now? We got 1,300 migrant deaths on U.S. soil. Where are they now? There were 13 last week in one mass drowning. 13 drowned at one time. When I was down there a couple months ago, a Texas National Guard man died. He drowned trying to save illegal immigrants who were drowning. They survived. Turned out they were accused drug traffickers. He drowned. He died. This was, in this case, 13 migrants drowned. They're dead. And I know that some people who would disagree with your position on this would at least profess, they would say that they are the compassionate people who have compassion on the issue. Between the fentanyl deaths that you talked about, the record-setting deaths at the border, the sexual assault, this most recent horrible event, there's nothing compassionate about incentivizing this. And whether you want to believe it or not, that is precisely what this administration has done from day one. I'll give you the last word, Tom. You're exactly right. I was in Brooks County, Texas, about a month ago. I went with a sheriff out there on a ride-along. Within four hours, four hours I was with him, we got two dead bodies. I went through, uh, and I talked to him and says, how, many, how often does this happen? That small county has already had close to 100 deaths. One sheriff, four deputies. They're not sheriff deputies anymore. He said they spend all their time looking for dead bodies. I asked him how many they, how many they found, how many don't they find. He guessed they find one in five. And I asked him why. He because it's a desolate area. They die. They get eaten by wild pigs. So they get eaten by coyotes, and they get spread every place. Mm. The, the, he says right now there's going to be people dying in the desert and in the brush we'll never find. There's going to be people that drowned in the river we'll never find. 1,300 is what we know about. There are many more that will never be fined. And that's the sad thing. And I tell people all the time, I can't blame anybody that wants to come to the greatest nation on earth. But when this administration opened the borders up and promised them you won't be detained, we're going to give you free health care, we're going to shut ICE down. It can be very hard, if not impossible, to deport you. Exactly. So the most vulnerable. And, and the like cartel, of course they're going to come. And the cartels use that language to sell their services. The most vulnerable people in the world are going to make this journey, and many are going to die. I've said in congressional testimony, I said in my book, this isn't about just illegal immigration. This is about death. This is about people dying on U.S. soil, which we should never accept. Under President Trump's administration, a lot less people died, a lot less fentanyl deaths. Why? Because we secured the border at the highest level we ever had. Secure borders save lives. And right now we're watching the opposite play out, and the consequences are brutal. As we've just been discussing, not an easy conversation ever with Tom Homan, but an important one that we have to have. He's the former acting director of ICE, which has been widely attacked and reviled by a lot of people in the media and in politics. They serve a very crucial purpose, and they've been basically defanged 
completely, almost completely, by this administration. He's currently a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's a Fox News contributor as well. Tom, good to see you. Thanks for coming here and talking about this. And in 2024, I hope to be back. Absolutely. Tom Homan (laughs) on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We return now to the Guy Benson Show happy hour. Have you noticed Kamala Harris has been sort of MIA, the vice president here for weeks? Like, where has she been? In some bunker somewhere. Perhaps the Democrats would like to keep her there until, oh, I don't know, maybe mid-November, give or take. Well, she gave an interview to the left-wing magazine The Nation in which she said that she never ate a grape in her life until she was in her 20s. And then she finally had one and said, oh, this is quite tasty. But she had been boycotting grapes because of some solidarity effort with the Cesar Chavez United Farm Workers. I was unaware that this was even a thing, but she was saying she was standing up with them and therefore as a kid she wasn't eating grapes or something like that. Now, some people are calling into question the timeline here. It doesn't quite line up with her life story and the dates. So this might be kind of like that story where she talked about wanting freedom as a little girl. That little tale that she told publicly, whether it's true or not, it's very weird. Like what young child is boycotting grapes for political reasons? That's not a normal thing. And this is a story I guess she chose to tell about herself to really explain how down for the cause she is with organized labor. Yeah, we know, Madam Vice President. We're well aware. Another weird one from Vice President Kamala Harris. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back here on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. It is full-blown back-to-school season right now, especially in the Northeast, in the South, Midwest. You're like, we've been back for a while now. Well, now it's sort of a nationwide phenomenon, people coming back to schools. And in my opening monologue today, I talked about how the Democrats and their cronies in the teachers' unions are yet again letting the mask slip in a way that parents need to be paying attention to, I think, in a very big way ahead of November. Here's part of what I had to say about it. Republicans would be committing political malpractice. And it would be a dereliction of duty to the children of the United States of America and our future in this country if they did not make sure to press the issue of education and schools, school closures, indoctrination, all of that, push that issue hard, prosecute the case. There's a lot to be said there. And as we're learning, Democrats do not have good answers on these things. So let's before we get into some of the flashbacks, let's just talk about what's recently happened. Patty Murray is a U.S. senator from Washington state. She is the chairwoman, I believe, of the Education Committee in the U.S. Senate. She's a member of Senate Democratic leadership. She's fighting to retain her seat. She's up against a very talented challenger, Tiffany Smiley, out there. It's a very blue state. Uphill battle for the Republicans. But Murray's out there trying to win re-election. And she was on CNN, State of the Union, over the weekend. And Dana Bash asked her a number of different questions, including questions about school closures. And I'm glad, I'll give her credit, that Dana was asking this question. 
Now, she was asking the question, of course, in the context of the data that came out that we covered last week, showing shocking and horrible learning loss among America's fourth graders on this gold standard baseline national test. Two decades worth of progress in math and reading wiped out heavily due to not the pandemic, but adults making terrible anti-science decisions in response to the pandemic and actively harming kids in the process, locking them out of classrooms in many places, the bluer the place, the likelier this happened for a year and a half. So now the chickens are coming home to roost. They're just starting to come home to roost for a lot of these kids who backslid or never got to the level of progress that they should have, this is something that will follow them. These consequences will impact their academic progress and their life and their careers probably for years. But we're starting to get just snippets of those consequences. And this was the latest data point, which is why we highlighted it the way that we did as loudly as we did last week. And in fact, the outcomes are so bad, so deleterious, so problematic for the future of so many children that even folks in the mainstream press can't completely ignore it, which is why you got these questions of Senator Murray from CNN. So just listen to this. I I will just play you these back and forth questions and answers. You can react however you'd like. I'll have my thoughts afterwards, but just listen to Cut 21. Was it a mistake to keep children home for school so long during the pandemic? Dana, this was a decision of local school officials and our scientific experts trying to get their hands around a pandemic that was killing millions of Americans to protect their children, to protect their staff, to protect their communities. I am proud that when Democrats got control a year and a half ago, uh, Democrats voted for the American Rescue Plan that helped our kids get back into school safely, making sure that our schools had testing and supplies and ventilation and the ability to make sure their kids could be safe at school. And today, virtually every child is back in school. Let's just pick that apart. There's more. I'll get to that in a second, but let's just start with that answer. She said these were local decisions from local school officials and scientific experts. Well, actually, we know that teachers unions were pressuring the Democrats behind the scenes in the Biden administration to alter the official science to align with a political agenda to delay the reopening of schools. That was the explicit goal of a lot of the teachers unions, saying that they wanted the schools to reopen safely, which meant not to reopen for as long as possible. And that's why a lot of them did, like, die-ins. This is going to kill a bunch of kids and teachers if we reopen schools. And these histrionics continued even after, in Europe, they were back in school, maskless in a lot of cases, and it was just fine. Same in private schools in the United States. Same in various states led by Republicans. Even when the data was crystal clear, the science was crystal clear, That wasn't good enough for the teachers unions and their close allies and friends in the Democratic Party. She says, well, back then there was a pandemic that was killing millions of Americans. No. This was a very deadly pandemic. We have not 
diminished it here or tried to minimize its severity. Not on this show. However, millions of Americans did not die. And of the more than one million Americans who have died of or with COVID, a lot of experts are finally admitting quite a lot of those deaths were not actually caused by COVID. So you can say this was a very serious lethal pandemic, and it was, especially to certain vulnerable populations. That is a far cry from millions of people dying in this country, which did not and has not happened vis-a-vis COVID. My full monologue on that subject and all of today's show available online for free as part of our podcast, On Demand Every Day, No Charge to You, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. producer Christine has something that she has to admit. I cannot believe we're going to be talking about this again, but apparently we have to, and we'll explain right after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. We are coming out strong, coming out hot after the long weekend. Hope you had a good one. Our website here, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every single day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcast. Well, that giant sucking sound you hear is not producer Christine's new vacuum cleaner. Yes, we're going to talk about vacuum cleaners again, and I can't believe it, but there's an update to this whole story. And Christine, first of all, before we get to that, how was your long weekend? Did you have a good time? Did you host any parties or attend anything? Was there mama's juice consumed? Um, okay, so, well, duh, the last question. Um, okay. But guess what? It's that time again. I think instead of dry January, I'm doing sober September. Have you heard of that one? Not sober October? No, sober September. I thought it was supposed to be sober October because it rhymes, and it's a slightly longer month, if I'm not mistaken. People do do that, and I think it's a thing, but if this isn't a thing, I'm making it a thing now. I think that uh, all of us, after the summer, we just need to dry out for a little bit. So um, that's well, what but you said that you just you said that you just drank over the long weekend, which was September. So September but is already was, not sober. Well, no, no, that doesn't count because that's Labor Day weekend. We started today. Like, this was it. Okay, September 6th through the 30th, no drinking at all? So the only permission I'm going to give myself is if, like, say we have a dinner plan or something, I'm allowing myself one drink, and that's it. Like, we have dinner plans at a steakhouse on Saturday night. I'm obviously going to get one martini, but I'm not going to get the red wine after. So look at me Mm -hmm. go. No. We'll see about that. And you might actually need some more of the booze as a coping mechanism based on this latest development in the, I don't even know what to call it, the vacuum-related trials and tribulations of cookie producer Christine. We have (laughs) talked far too much on the air about vacuum cleaners and your house, but you often bring this up. You have bought so many vacuum cleaners, including an expensive Dyson, and then you didn't like it, and you had like four or five vacuums at your house at one point. And then most recently, if I'm remembering correctly, you got a new vacuum cleaner, And you were so 
enamored with the new vacuum cleaner, which I was just aghast that you had bought yet another one, but you had, that you decided to just throw away all the previous ones. You weren't giving them to people. You weren't trying to sell them. You just threw them away in favor of the brand new one. And how's that going for you? Uh, it's broken. I don't know what is happening with me in vacuums, but the thing broke. <laughs> and now because I threw all the other vacuums away, I have no vacuums. So I had to have my mother schlep her vacuum up on Sunday because I was having her and, like, my sister and my brother-in-law over, and I needed to vacuum. So she wasn't happy about that. But Joyce is a, a blondie. Well, we call her Joyce Blondie, whatever you want to call her, judgy. Uh, she she likes a clean house or apartment so she brought it up for me how did this happen did it break mid-use or did you go one day to use it and it was dead like what happened here i just went to go use it the other day and it just wasn't sucking (laughs) i just did not pick up anything and i started to realize huh this isn't picking up much and even when I would go to vacuum, I had to sweep after. So, and I'm realizing it just wasn't picking up. So, was it plugged in? Uh, yes, it was plugged in. It I'm just trying to in. troubleshoot. I'm trying to troubleshoot for you. <laughs> uh, did Bobby take a look at it and see if there was something maybe blocking it or jamming it? Oh, well, yes, he did. I think he did it just to, you know, shake his head at me in disgust. Because he's like, what do we do now? Now what? And I said, well, I was thinking of just ordering this one again. Maybe we just got like a lemon. And remember, I told you it was like life changing. It was only 50 bucks. But um, mm. no, didn't that no. didn't that seem a little suspicious, Christine? That's why I called it life changing. Who knew you could buy such an amazing vacuum so cheap? Well, perhaps we've learned why. I mean, do, do did I learn anything? We'll see. Do you ever? Time will tell. Do you ever? Time will. You never do. You never do. <laughs> no. uh, now, are you? Have you thrown this one away already? Is it on the garbage no. heap? No. So what I did is, and Bobby said, "Hey, doesn't know what why that would make it work." I took all of it apart and like rinsed it with water, thinking, "I don't know, maybe something will help." And it's air drying right now, but Bobby thinks I probably made it worse by dousing the whole thing in water. Yeah, that seems like an odd choice again there. Um, what are you going to do now? When did you buy it? Let's just like back up. We had this conversation, what was it, a month ago, maybe two? I bought it. Wyatt will probably remember because he probably has it in his notebook. I bought it's it. It's in the on file, your, yeah. Remember it was like the Amazon Prime Day? Oh, was- yeah. It was over the summer. It was definitely over the summer. And so it's only been a matter of weeks I would imagine there has to be some sort of warranty attached to a brand-new vacuum cleaner that should last six months at the minimum. I would say probably a year just as a standard thing. Can you go and get a new one on their dime? I feel like that's probably what you've already looked into, yes? Uh, No, no. I've been looking into dousing my (laughs) vacuum in water and seeing if that helps. But I think – I got it through Amazon. They're really good. As long as you stay on the phone and talk with the person um, for as however long it takes for them to go through. Every, usually people just hang up because they have no patience. I have patience. So maybe I can get a credit for this. And then the big question is, do I buy it again or do I invest in something more? A seventh 
different vacuum appliance brand, perhaps? Uh, it would be uh, one, two, three, the fifth. The fifth. Okay. Six. six. Sorry, six. six. I forgot about up that. Up to six here. Yeah. Might be there. Might be another one in there uh, before the segment's over. But you would call Amazon, not the manufacturer, and you would just wear them down. Is that the goal here? Oh yeah, I'm pretty. As you, as you know, in my booking, I am pretty good about wearing people down. I mean, just ask my husband. Poor guy. Um, yeah. I, I think I so I'll I'll I don't know if you want to keep updating about this. I will keep you posted, but I think I'll get my money back. And then honestly, if anybody has a good suggestion for something not overly priced, something I'm not going to break in a month, but I guess something that's not life changing at fifty bucks, could you tweet me? Could you? What's my Twitter handle again, guy? I believe it's at Cookies Jar nineteen eighty eight. Yes, that's it. That's it. Um, have you not been see, tweeting a lot, Christine? No, no you have not. In fact, not a not a single tweet since July. Hmm. All right, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, Christine, what? you're not you're not going to keep building your followers and your following. You are at 267 followers. The people need content. The people need interaction. Right. The people need things to interact with. So I think you should take a photo of your. I, what, like drying out, taken apart and dismantled vacuum cleaner on the floor. Take a photo of that, tweet it, and ask for help, and then maybe people can respond with their recommendations. You know what, though? Sometimes people tweet at me and I see the messages. They're not very nice. So, like, just be a little kinder to me. I don't think coming to my house at Thanksgiving should be, like, something that a loser gets in a bet. Ah, I see what you're referring to here. This is... Someone who's a Duke football fan, since Duke is playing Northwestern this weekend, he suggested that whichever team loses the game on Saturday in Evanston, between the two of us, the loser of the game would have to go to your house for Thanksgiving. And I rejected that flatly because I don't want to take the risk. Right? Northwestern has trouble with Duke for some reason recently, even when we're good and they're not. They, have, they sort of have our number for the moment, so I, I said no deal, no thank you. But I, that's really, as far as Twitter is concerned, Christine, that is pretty anodyne stuff. It's not bad. Oh, really? All right. Oh, yeah. No, All that's, right. that's like I, mild. I'll get to tweeting. I'll get to yeah. tweeting. Okay. Because, and I, I just want to put out there that I do have to apologize because I believe I really pushed this vacuum on people. I yeah. told them that I was going to change their life as well. So Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, maybe if you had maybe if you had actually uh, managed to spend some time with that psychic in Times Square, she could have warned you that this was coming. She could have warned you about your vacuum. Maybe that's the real problem here. Bye, guy. Have a good night. Yeah, she's like, we'll oh, I have a special tomorrow. message from your late father. Although she didn't say late, just your father. And you're like, how did you yeah. know I have a father? Uh, and maybe maybe it was your dad from heaven warning you about a vacuum cleaner. Maybe that's what was up. And I guess we'll just never know because you missed the opportunity to get grifted out of even more money. Oh, Christine. Well, uh, keep us posted here. I will decide whether or not we want to inflict more of this upon the listenership. But if the story gets more hilarious, you better believe we're going to do it. In fact, you didn't even tell me about this, did you? Quiet Wyatt had to spill the beans about this. Quiet Wyatt blew this up at the very end of our call today. Wyatt just sort of snuck it in there. He blew the whistle on a story that you were trying to hide from me. 
Yeah, we're going to start calling him not-so-quiet Wyatt. Whistleblower Wyatt. That's a new identity. Whistleblower Wyatt. I like it. It's We seek the truth here and transparency, and we got it from one team member at least. All right, Christine, keep us posted. Back here tomorrow for more of The Guy Benson Show. Same time, same place. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you then. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.